0: This is the Dew Sweepers Golf Show, presented by McConnell Automotive, on Sports Radio 105.5 FM, online at WNSP.com. And on the WNSP app, the Dew Sweepers is also brought to you by the Taylor Martino Rowan Law Firm, Stokely Garden Express, Taco Mama, and Strixon Cleveland Golf. Now, stepping up to the tee, here's Golf Digest Top 50 and Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor, Tony Ruggiero.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome into the Dew Sweepers. I'm your host, Tony Ruggiero, here on this Jingle Bell Classic weekend. If you follow us on social media, you'll notice a big group of us are over in Biloxi playing in my 28th annual Jingle Bell Classic. A lot of fun, have all the guys together. Um, But this weekend, we've got a very special podcast for you, a show for you. Uh, If you listen to this show weekly on WNSP. My boy Clint Crouch produces it for me. He does an amazing job. We take my discussions from around the world of golf with the best coaches, players, roundtable discussions from my travels from here to Palm Beach to PGA Tour, Live Tour, LPGA Tour, wherever it is, and bring those conversations and we put them out weekly on the Tour Coach Podcast. And so what we do here on WNSP is I bring you the best of those discussions. Okay. And uh, this is an unbelievable one. It is myself and Justin Parsons, more Justin than me, but this is comes from a conversation we had with his mentor, the great Butch Harmon, the GOAT of golf instruction, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson. I mean, you can go on and on, but uh, he's been the number one teacher in the world forever, and he's the best. And he met with us via Zoom to talk with a group of young instructors and offer his life's uh, wisdom, his wisdom from his life and coaching, and it's fantastic for anybody that loves the game, and it's really good. So this is going to be a sampling of it. The actual podcast is much longer. We let we did a little extra time with Butch, and I think you'll you'll enjoy it. But uh, the great Butch Harmon here on the Dew Sweepers. But want to remind everybody: if you like what you hear, go listen to the rest of it or listen to all of our other conversations and discussions by going to wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcast, wherever they are, SoundCloud. All you got to do is go find the Tour Coach, Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero, and you can find just – this is, I believe, close to our 200th uh, pod. A lot of great conversations out there. If you love the game, you want to get better, you love teaching it, playing it, watching it, whatever it is, check out the tour coach. There's also great content for those that like to watch videos on my YouTube channel. And, uh, all you have to do is go type in the do sweepers or Tony Ruggiero on YouTube. And there's lots of content, including our video series with Bushnell golf pro work. So lots of do sweepers content out there. Lots of golf info to help you play better, and before we get into the conversation with Butch Harmon, we got to remind everybody, I hope you don't need a lawyer, but if you do, you want to go to the very best. You want to go to the Dew Sweeper of Lawyers in Alabama, and that is Taylor Martino and our boy Ed Rowan. Taylor Martino and Rowan at 433-3131. That's 433-3131. And uh, they've got the best experts, the most successes. They've got the most victories. Uh, they know what they're doing, and they're going to ensure you get what you're entitled to. And we also can't forget uh, my buddy Blaine Stokely, Stokely's Midtown Garden Express right there, the loop on government. They're such Both of those, along with McConnell Automotive, are such huge sponsors of my instruction and my content here in Mobile and around the world of golf. So uh, please support them. But don't forget, Taylor Martino and Rowan, 433-3131, and enjoy this conversation with Butch Harmon. All right, so uh, joining us here, Justin Parsons, Jackson, and myself with with Butch Harmon um, here on the uh, Golf Coach Development Zoom call and the podcast. Butch, thanks again so much for taking the time to sit down with us. We've got a great group of young teachers that are passionate about getting better. JP and I have been doing this, and Wayne Flint and Jackson, who's also part of it, but been doing this for a year and a half or so, and it's been fun. A lot of folks uh, enjoy uh, trying to get better at teaching, and we appreciate you taking the time. It's it's awesome to have
2: you. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. As, as I always say, anything Wayne asks me to do, I'm, I mean, or Justin asks me to do, I'm doing it. If JP says, will you do this? I say, heck yeah, I'll do this. He, he did everything I ever asked him to do, so if he asks me, I'm going to do it with
1: it. <laughs> it, it, well, let's kind of, JP, chime in whenever you want, but start there. The kind of where we started we before we started recording just about, you know, uh, y- you didn't get to be Butch Harmon by not working your ass off. And, and, and I'm sure there were times that things weren't great and that you didn't have tons of success. Kind of take us through where you started and how hard you had to work to get where you are. Well,
2: I mean, obviously you're right. Uh at 80 years
1: old I've been doing this a long time almost
2: 60 years I've been a golf pro and I've, I've been on both ends of it I've been at the high end and I've been at the very low end and let me tell you the high end is a lot more fun than the low end that's <laughs> for damn sure but the low end I created myself back in the 80s when I was divorced and doing things I shouldn't have been doing and they lost a job and you know I was kind of lost in my life and uh, my brother Dick is the one who saved my life uh, he said get in your car driving down to Houston and uh, we'll find a job. And I went to work for Dave Marr, building golf courses for about two or three years. And I really actually enjoyed that. Uh, I've always been a workaholic. So that's what saved me through my down times. And I didn't even know how golf courses were built. So for me, it was a great understanding to learn. And I got pretty good at shaping and doing stuff like that. And then I just realized I missed being in the golf industry. I missed being around it. Started teaching again. I started a little golf school in, in Texas. Uh, And I kind of went on from there, you know, and and, in the 80s, I got a break with Steve Elkington, which uh, led me to Davis Love III, which led me to Greg Norman, which led me so on and so on and so forth, Tiger Woods and down the line. Uh, I never started out thinking I was going to be the number one teacher the last 22 years in golf. I just I just always tried to be the best I could be. Whatever that was, that's what I wanted to be. The one thing I will say to all of you young instructors that are out there listening to this, don't be a follower. Don't don't live in a small box. Think outside the box. Uh, Justin has known me a long time. I'm good at thinking outside the box. I'm not a follower. I like I like being a leader, and I like learning from everybody. At 80 years old, I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to get better, even though I don't teach as much as I used to. I still teach a lot. Uh, and I, I love what I do. Uh, I, I would never say that uh, I think my dad had the greatest line ever. It's, it's what you learn after you think you know it all. is the most important thing in life, and I've never gotten to that point where I think I know it all. I, I can keep on learning. That's the one thing I would tell all you young, young instructors. Don't put everything in one box. Don't, don't, don't be a follower because somebody who you know does it this way, so that's the way you do everything you do. Use your own imagination. Be creative. And don't be afraid to think outside the box. My gosh, I, I've been one of those that's been criticized numerous times for thinking different ways of doing things and stuff. And, and I learned from watching great teachers teach and great players play. And I learned by watching and seeing what they do and how they do it. Uh, you know, I get asked all the time, what, what is your system? And I said, my God, I don't have a system. How the hell, I'm not smart enough to have a system. I said i just try and get the best out of what you do naturally whatever you do naturally is your natural swing and it doesn't matter whether you're a beginner a 15 handicap a scratch or a tour player your natural swing is your swing i try and make take the things in that swing will make it better i'm not going to re- reinvent the wheel and completely change you i just want to try and make you better to do that sometimes i have to think outside the box sometimes i have to to do a radical thing with somebody or something that I saw somebody do once before and it worked in a situation like that so you keep your eyes and ears open and just keep learning that's that's the best thing you can do and just be as good as you can be at your craft always try and get better I always tell when I do seminars I always tell these young teachers the best thing I can tell you to do is pick out a guy that's had success but you disagree with everything he says and go to his seminar. And somebody said to me, why would I want to do that? I said, because you're going to learn something. When you leave that room, if you only learn one something you didn't know, guess what? You're better at doing your job. You may not agree with 90% of what the guy said, but that 10%, you really learned something, something that you didn't think about in the golf swing, but think about how to approach it, whether it be communication-wise, with video or whatever. And I said, that's how we get better. We get better by keeping our eyes and ears open.
3: But that that's fantastic. You you always said to us, you know, and I think
2: from from those
3: of us who had the privilege to work for you and the family, you know, you always said, you know, you guys need to beat me to work. You need to be leaving work after I've left work. You had a, a, a very much an expectation on the way that we would present ourselves. And I remember something else you said to me, especially with tour players and, and just being around players. You said, if you can if you can show up, show up. Make yeah. sure you make the effort to be where you need to be. And I think you know, that, that requires a certain amount of effort and dedication and, uh, you know, application and sacrifice. And sometimes you feel like you're you're wasting your time, but then, you know, you, you, you get to a point where you recognize that, that all of those hours of dedication, you know, end up coming back to you. And it doesn't, that doesn't maybe happen for a young teacher until he's maybe 40 or 45, or, you know, I'm 47. Oh, and I've I've had a wee bit of success the last couple of years, but you know, speak a little bit about that and about the way your dad would have would have asked you guys to behave when it came to the professional nature of the sport.
2: Well, we were raised by the best. I mean, Claude Hartman was the greatest club pro in the history of the game, the best teacher, the best player, the best merchandiser. I mean, one of the first one to use logos. I mean, it just I could go on and on about my dad. And working for my father uh, was not easy, especially being. <laughs> Being his son, so I was the low man on the total pole. I got I got paid the least of anybody else, and I was required to, to show up and learn and get there and do And One one of the things I've admired about your success, J.P., is you remind me a lot of me when I was when I was younger. You were w- really willing to learn and to listen, and you you did more listening and you asked more questions than you did giving advice to, to, to people. And the better you got at it, the better you got at it, the better you got at it, the more confidence you have. And I've, all, I've really admired the person you've become and the work you've done with your players. Uh, I don't think the average person realizes how difficult it is uh, to work with tour players. Working with 18 handicaps is easy because you can experiment. If this doesn't work, we'll try something else. If this doesn't work, you know, you're coming over the top, no shit, that's all you know how to do is come over the top and hit a week's slice. Well, So let's, let's see if I can make you hit a hook or let's do something If it doesn't work. We'll try something else. When you're working with a tour player, you're working with number one, how he makes a living. That's the first thing. Number two, he sought you out to get your, your opinion on what he needs to do. Number three, you better be professional and you better be ready. The problem I see with a lot of coaches on the tour and you're not this way, but they're afraid to say something to the guy. They're, they're afraid to see for me, as you well know, I, I, I got no filter. If I see something's wrong, I'm jumping my ass in there, and I'm. Going, You're not paying me to kiss your ass. You're paying me to make you better, and so I have no problem jumping in there and tell you, no, this isn't right. We need to change this, or we need to change this now. And I see a lot of younger teachers are afraid they're going to lose their job, so they won't say that, and they won't get in there, and they become yes men. Well, these tour players have a zillion people every week kissing their butts. It's you know how it's it's over the top to be honest with you, compared to when I played back in the '60s and '70s. But you, you gotta be 100% sure when you make a decision, this is what this person needs to do because they have the talent to do anything. You can see guys that have been ruined by, by instruction. I would never say any name and nobody is really going out there to try and ruin anybody, but it's happened. We've seen guys that have really disappeared because of that instruction. And to me, that's a person that has a model. He has a one swing model and he's gonna put this, everybody in the same box. Well, I don't do that. I can't do that because everybody's got a different build, different what's inside of them, uh, different capacity to learn, different desire to work hard, different ability to understand what you're saying. Uh, so for me, that's the way I've tried to do my job. I, I'm not here to kiss your butt. I'm here to try and make you better. And uh, my, my good friend Todd Roberts teases me all the time. We don't have a system. He says, you have no system. How can you be any better? I said, yeah, I got a system. I said, you come to me, you pay me a lot of money, you get better, and you win. That's my system. (laughs) And I said, it's worked pretty good for the last 50 years.
0: Watch that backswing and keep it out of the rough. This is the Deuce Sweepers Golf Show on WNSP, presented by McConnell Automotive. Once again, your host Tony Ruggiero.
1: This is Tony Ruggiero, and you're listening to The Dew Sweepers here on WNSP and a conversation from my tour coach podcast with Butch Harmon. This segment's brought to you by Stokely's Midtown Garden Express.
3: Um, Go. Butch, you know when you when you're talking about that it's you know it's interesting um look watching, you know, watching Claude work with with a few players at, at the golf school in Dubai and being able to get over to Vegas and watch you. And, you know, when, when you think back to, to what you were doing, you said you got a bit of a break with Steve Elkington. I mean, you were around golf for a long time. You obviously watched a lot of great teachers teaching. I mean, at what point in your career did you feel really confident and ready to, to teach the best players in the world or, or did that just kind of happen organically?
2: Well, I always, even as a junior golfer, I used to like to think I could teach because I I just tell people what my dad was telling somebody, but I, I liked ha- trying to help them and stuff. I've always had that desire. Uh, Elke was a, the first real tour player that I had any success with. He'd, he'd worked with my brother Dick. He worked with my dad. Uh, and that's what led me to Greg Norman, but I had a lot of success with Davis Love before that. And I think the more success you have, If you keep an open mind, the more confidence you get in your own ability. You've known me a long time. I am a very confident person. I believe 100% in my ability to help you. And that may sound arrogant to a lot of you, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant. I'm just giving you the model that I use for me. I believe strongly in my ability to help people. I've never rested and say I know it all now. That's why I keep changing. I mean, think about this. What we teach today is not the same thing we taught 10 years ago. Equipment changed that. Equipment made us have to open our eyes and realize. I mean, you look at all way back with wooden uh, drivers, persimmon drivers and softball and all the reverse Cs we saw and people throwing the ball in the air. Well, that's how you had to get the ball in the air. New clubs came out and you wanted to launch it as high as you can with as little amount of spin as you can with a driver to get your best distance. So you had to get on top of the ball more. So to stay behind the ball didn't work. We had to change our way of getting people through the ball, putting their chest on the ball, rotating through, extending past it. Uh, so, I, you know, I've evolved with the times. And, and as equipment changes, we've had to change. And you can't be afraid to change. I'll go back to what I said at the start think outside of the damn box. Don't stay in this little box. As you know, the saying that you've heard me say a million times, you've heard Claude say you've heard Wayne say the people that have been around me. You have two things you can do. You can teach people. Golf to people or people to play golf. I choose to teach you how to play golf. I'm don't teach. i not trying to teach you X's and O's how you look good on a driving range. I don't give a damn if it works on a driving range. Now you got to take it out of the course to work. And so we like to think, those of us, and you're a perfect example of that because you work, grew up working in a, in a Harmon system, if there is such a thing, just being around enough Harmon's, <laughs> which I'm not sure is good for your brain every but it is what it is. But that's how we learn that's what we think is more important to teach i need to teach how to play golf uh, i'm not i'm not running a driving range in in tokyo japan with 1000 people that never get on a golf course so let's swing like a robot i i'm not smart enough to get anybody to do that i just try and get people to play better
3: well it's it's interesting butch you know from from my like back in in dubai towards the end and uh the golf digest middle east asked me to do a, a thing and they said look could you give me an idea what butch's system is and I, so of course I'm struggling at that point. I'm thinking to myself, well what you know, what can I say? And I think you know, recalling it, I think I, I just went with great, you know, great fundamentals. I talked a little bit about post impact, because you used to talk about post impact a lot, the face being nice and stable and the body continuing to rotate, um, and not having a long, kind of loose backswing. Although there have been players being successful with that. But you know, to your point, there was never a there was never a point in the journey that I had with 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 you and your family where somebody said, "No, you you must teach it like this." No. I think I think your your father probably had more of an inkling into uh, sequencing and biomechanics than than anybody, you know. I, and I, obviously, Mister Hogan had a had an incredible way with kind of being able to understand how his body was supposed to be working. And I, I remember, you know, I think it was you telling me the the, the story of your dad saying, look, if the if the downswing's a, a horse race, the horses kind of take off in this order, and then they slow down in this order. And he was basically talking about, you know, the, the beginnings of a kinematic sequence, which was, you know, way way ahead of his time. And you know, it was it was always delivered in such a simple way. But you know, what I always got from from you guys, it was less about it was less about what you knew and less about the information that perhaps you had, but more about the way that you were able to communicate with people. And you know, I've even noticed recently you you've talked a lot in your you know, some of the lessons, like I asked Ricky what he was doing and, and Harold what he was doing. And you've talked a lot about hip turn, you know, and maybe in 2000 you weren't talking about hip turn as much. And that's, you know, part of what you're saying about evolving as a as an instructor.
2: Well, I think I think for the backswing, a, a hip turn is a lost art because you remember Jim McLean's X Factor where you don't try and turn your hips too much. You turn your shoulders as much as you can to, to create the tension that allows you to come. Well, look, look at uh, – What what happened to Jason Day's back by swinging like that? Because he hardly Mm -hmm. made any hip turn at all. And I think hip turn is a huge part of the golf swing. If you watch the old timers, the the best players, they all made big hip turns, which uh, my theory is you can't unwind something, you don't wind up. So if you don't get it wound up, how the hell are you going to unwind it? Because we need to be able to unwind. The other thing, going back to my dad, for everybody that worked for my dad, all the great instructors that became great instructors that worked for him, was he wanted you to be your own person. He wanted you to to be your own person. He wanted to, to to he would help you and teach you, but he wanted you to be you. In other words, people ask me what's the most important thing in teaching. You know, and the, the obvious answer is knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the better you are. No, it's not. It's communication skills. You could have all the knowledge in the world, but if you can't communicate it, then what the hell good are you? You know, you got to be able to, to communicate the message to the student. You know, that's that's our job. Is that it's. And that's why I say if someone, when you're working with a higher handicap, if they don't get it one way, hell, we just go to some other way. But when you're working with really good players, you can't do that. So your communication skills are very important. And dad was so great, not just with me and my brothers, but with all his assistants. He wanted them to be themselves, but he wanted them to understand who themselves was going to be. You had to be a perfect gentleman at all times. Like you said, you had to show up early, leave late. You know, I, I love today, modern day. You work at a golf course today, you're almost like a clerk. You're not really a thing because you can only work so many hours a week. And what the hell is that bullshit? We work the sun. When the sun's up, we work. When the sun goes down, we go home. That's how the golf is is has always been. And nowadays, it's changed. And I think this thing that you guys do where teachers can hear other teachers talk and explain, I think is really good for the, especially the younger generation because they don't get that opportunity. They're so wrapped up in, in technology. And that's all they do. I watch guys today give lessons, and the guy makes a swing. They've never looked at the swing, they've never watched the ball. And all here they are with their computer. Well, you know, you're four <laughs> degrees from the inside, three degrees down, and stuff. But yeah, why the hell don't you tell him why he's doing that? And how come you didn't watch him do it? I mean, the ball, JP, you know, even when you learn, when you were long, young working, it wasn't name that driving range you worked at, Claude told me about
3: Blackwood, way yeah, back yeah. in the. And where was it? And banger just between Belfast and Hollywood.
2: There you go. So, so when you worked there, you didn't have any of that crap. You, you had the ball with your barometer. If you yeah. think about it, the, where the ball starts, the spin on the ball, the trajectory of the shot, the curvature and the speed the ball's traveling pretty much tells you everything. It tells you the path of the, the club coming down and club face at impact. It tells you all that. That, to me, was was the greatness of Claude Harmon and John Jacobs. And those are the two biggest influences of me and my teaching. John Jacobs was a genius, and my dad was a genius. And they made everything so simple. They didn't confuse you with a whole bunch. The problem today, people want to try and show you how much they know. Well, you know, and the way we teach less is more. The less you can say, the more they're going to get out of it. There's no doubt about that. You don't need to confuse someone with how much you know. They don't give a damn what you know. They're coming to you to help them. It's the ball will tell you if you're doing a good job or if you're not doing a good job. So there's a lot more things that go into it than the X's and O's. I'm not anti technology. I get asked that all the time when I do seminars. Mr. Harmon, we hear you're old school. And I said, Well, I'm old. Yeah, of course I'm old school. I said, But we <laughs> use technology. I use launch monitors. I said, We use training age, and we use videos. I said, as a matter of fact, you like this one, JP. I said, I actually use two launch monitors when I teach. And they said, well, what kind are you using? And I said, they are these blue things right here, these two things that are looking at the guy finger. <laughs> That's my launch monitor. I can see if the damn thing's spinning too much or not spinning enough. My God, I've only seen a million golf balls leave a club face in my lifetime. So don't get so wrapped up in technology. Technology's good. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not the end all. J.P., you, you, I don't know if you had the opportunity to meet my dad when he was alive. Well, he was the biggest character of all time. And I had a guy ask me the other day, he said, Mr. Harmon, what would your father think of a launch monitor? I said, I couldn't have been lucky enough for them to be around when my dad was teaching, because I could just hear him. Hey, pal, me anything. See that machine over there? Never hit a shot. It's never hit one. It just sits on his ass all day. It spits out numbers. Never hits a shot. How about on sunday on the back nine on sunday if you're coming down the stretch and you got a chance to win does that machine know what's going through your veins and your body hell no that machine's still sitting on his ass betting out number and that's exactly the way my dad would have explained it because those guys had to dig it all out of the dirt they had to watch they most of them all grew up in caddies and caddy yards and that's how they learned how to play and it's different times but i'm not anti-technology i think it's good i just don't think it's the end all
0: This is the Dew Sweepers Golf Show, live on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Keep it in the fairway with Golf Digest Top 50 and Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor, Tony Ruggiero.
1: This is Tony Ruggiero, and you're listening to the Dew Sweepers here on WNSP and a conversation from my Tour Coach podcast with Butch Harmon. This segment's brought to you by Stokely's Midtown Garden Express.
3: And I would say, Butch, even, and I'd, I'd be interested because I've never asked you this before. And, and uh, I, I remember after you had a, a, a weekend at the Floridian, which I'm sure you were up later than you needed to be. And I we drove to Orlando together from the Floridian. I, I just asked you questions for four hours. I'm sure you got out of the car and thought, I wish this fellow would shut up. But um, I... With, I've noticed with the best players, they seem a little bit more observant with their ball flights, even just like naturally watching Louie hit balls and, uh, you know, Davis more recently hit balls. They're very, very observant about their ball flight and they really, uh, yeah. you, they seem attached to it in a way that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been. Uh, would you have noticed that? Look at, you know, remembering Greg and Tiger, like they're very in tune with what they're doing from a from
2: a ball flight perspective. Absolutely. Even, even before that, in the old days, you know, because... Uh, my mother had 10 pregnancies and there's six boys in our family of which I'm the oldest. And so my dad would only play in the major championships every year. And I would always go to them starting when I was like six or seven, eight years old. Nine years old. I mean, I've literally seen every great player hit a golf ball with my eyes with the exception of maybe Sarazen and Bobby Jones. I mean, we can go all the way back to Hogan and Nelson and Snead and DeMarin and all these guys. I was a kid. I watched every one of them. I used to caddy for my father. I started when I was about 13 or 14. I caddied for him every day. And that's how I learned a lot about ball flight. watching these great players. I'll tell you, an interesting story about Ben Hogan. My dad was playing with Mr. Hogan, and and we got to the eighth hole in the west course at Wingfoot, which is now not a long hole, but in those days, it was like 460 or 470. And he hit in the right rough, and he he didn't have a very good line. And he took his forewood and he made this swing where he picked it straight up and he just chopped down on the ball and the ball leaped out of there towards the left bunker and just hung it right, hit short of the green, ran up to about 20 feet. And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell did he do that? And so what I would do when we were done with the working that day, my dad would teach in the evening that I'd get my club boy and I took my little canvas bag and went back to that eight hole and found that divot and threw about a dozen balls down there. And how'd he do that? I saw him do this, and I saw him do that. And, you know, in those days, what the average person doesn't know, there was no legality on grooves in woods. Well, how they used to take uh, big chisels, <laughs> chisel out of those persimmon woods. I mean, you have to take the ball out of play every time you hit a, a fairway wood because the ball was squeezed on that face. So I learned a lot by watching these guys, and I learned a lot on how they control the ball. When you were a kid going to a tournament and you'd see this guy hit this low one and it would rise up like that, and the gallery would go, ooh, and the player hated it because it was all backspin. It wasn't going anywhere. Well, that was a softball, and it wouldn't push him in the head. And so I learned watching these guys control the trajectory. Of, I would say Ben Hogan's the greatest striker of a ball I've ever seen. Second to me, my surprise was Lee Trevino. Why? Because yeah. they control their ball through the yeah. air. They control the ball through the air with ball flight better than anybody did it. And that's why Trevino was so successful. That's why Hogan was so su- successful. That's why Tiger became so successful. One of the barometers, you know, JP, in a, in a, a, what's that? Larky always wanted
3: to be on your list.
2: Oh, yeah. He's on there. He could control that ball in the air beautifully. And it's the one thing I've noticed about your players, the way they control the ball through the air. And if you think about it, the barometer I use most of the time at the end of the year when I look at stats, and gosh, knows now you can get 20 pages of stats. The one that to me is the most important is proximity to the hole from every distance. Because if you're hitting your ball pin high every time, guess what? You're controlling your ball through the air. If your proximity to the hole is all over the place, you better work on that trajectory because the higher you hit it up here, the less chance you have of controlling it. And so that, to me, has always been one of the stats I look at. Fairways hit as a joke anymore because there's no rough. And right. they hit it so far anyway that it doesn't make a difference. I wish that they played tournaments with 25-yard wide fairways and six inches rough. So We find out who can play golf. You know? And nowadays, because of the, how fast the ball comes off of a driver for a tour player, I mean, my God, and it doesn't curve that much for them. They just swing as hard as they can. I don't know what's going to happen there. Something's going to happen. I, my good friend, uh, and I've told uh, Justin this before, Jose Maria Olatavo, he had the best idea. He said, let's go from 14 clubs to nine clubs. We'll find out if we play. Because then you, if you got a putter, now you got eight clubs that you can hit shots with. Well, you better be able to hit shots because you're going to be in between a whole bunch of times. And I think that would be a great idea. Hell, we're the only professional sports league in the world that plays under amateur rules. I mean, think about that. NFL football is not even the same size as the college football. The rules are different. Basketball, three-point line, the key, baseball, aluminum bats, wooden bats. We're, we're antiquated here with these USGA people. I mean, they, all they're doing is running around wiping a dandruff off the doggone blue jackets. They, and they make all the rules for us. <laughs> right, let's make our own rules. Let's professional golf have their own rules. Uh, I just read something the other day that Adam Scott said down in Australia. He said, you know, he talked about the ball, and he goes, the heck with the ball. He says, how about the driver? How about the size of the head of a driver and how you can hit it all over the club face and still get a good shot? How about we make the driver head smaller? Don't let the ball come off the face so much. And we do our own rules. Do the length of the club can only be so long. And then let's just see if that works, because right now they're making golf courses obsolete, to be honest with you. Because somebody's going to come along and win a tournament hitting it 400 yards. Because the the long drivers are doing it already. And then I know, JP, and this this is off the subject, but it's a pet peeve of mine. Ground force. Ground force. Boy, we heard that one the last couple years. Isn't it funny how every two years or so, there's a new term. Everybody goes, I had a guy ask me the other day. Mr. Hong, what do you think of ground force? I said, ground force? I've been walking on the ground for 80 years. What the hell do you think? I'm elevating when I'm hitting these shots? Of course I'm using the ground to move off of when I move into it. That's not, you act like ground force is new. What do you think we're walking on? We're walking on the ground. Of course we're using the ground. Watch Nicholas when he first came out and how far he hit the ball away. The he could move off the ground when he moved into it. When he was fat jacked with a big wide stance and way back. He he was hitting it over 300 With a wooden driver and a softball. Norman, in my years that I started to work with him, wooden driver and softball, they could hit 300 yards. Yeah, they're using the ground. So that none of this stuff is new. The golf swing has been around a long time. Uh, I think teachers are getting better at teaching it, but still, the the players have gotten so much better. Look at the athletes we get now. Think about what, say, my year when I had my rookie year on the tour of '69. You know, five eight, five seven, five eight, five nine, five ten was pretty tall. George Archer was six foot three or four. He was tall. Everybody else was under six feet. Well, hell, everybody's over six feet now. The size of the athletes we're getting, they're bigger and stronger. They move the club head faster. There's no doubt about that. Uh so something has to be done at the professional level, or it's it's not gonna be any fun anymore. I mean, I, I like seeing a tournament I don't agree with the USDA all the time that they use uh, even par as a barometer. I, I like seeing a course set up hard but fair where if you really play well and you put your ball in play and you putt good, uh, you shoot a good score. The, the thing that killed me the most, and I'm going to be honest with you, is when Bryson DeChambeau won the U.S. Open in weak foot. I can't tell you how that pissed me off because he was driving <laughs> all over the place. He's, he's hitting it in, in the rough, but he's gouging it out on the green. He's making everybody look sad. Now, he wasn't the only guy on the bar. He was the only one finished under par, but of all the great champions we had at Wingfoot, we got Deschambeau. Come on, that 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 one kind of did me in a little bit. But that,
3: <laughs> that, the the rough the rough was weird that week. I was you know I was there with Harris, yeah. Brian, and Louis, and it was like if you if you got it within about a hundred and twenty five, you could just about get it to the front edge of the green rough. But you if you're in that one fifty to one seventy five range, you kind of no chance. So I think they they just I guess they just missed. Misjudged the rough and misjudged how far they could hit it into the rough.
2: Well, I mean, go back to what was the massacre at Wingford? 1974 when had, uh, I think Watson, uh, no, who won, there? Irwin shot like eight over or nine over or something. And the headline of the book was the massacre at Wingford. Yeah, why? Because we had narrow fairways and rough, and it, it put a premium on hitting the ball on the fairway. Well, that premium is gone at the professional level. I mean, go back and look at some of your old open championship film and see how high that that rough was off the side of the fairways or go back to us opens in the forties and even into the fifties and you got six, seven, eight inch rough. Well, these guys today, if they grew that today, you you know what winers and babies.
1: Oh, they'd go nuts.
2: They'd be complaining there. Oh my God, the rough is so high. I can't get out of it. Well, you're not supposed to be in it. pal. put the damn thing in the fairway. You know, and, and the argument to that is, well, if we, if we did that, Nobody would hit a driver. I said, well, where does it say you have to hit a driver? I think you're supposed to get from point A to point B to point C in the fewest amount of shots you can. Isn't that where golf is? To put a number in the scorecard, in the box, that's all it is. And I think we've gotten carried away with, with the distance thing. I mean, that's all we hear about. That's all you guys as instructors hear about. I want to hit the ball further. I want to hit the ball further. In my 10 years with Tiger Woods, everybody who came to my golf school said, I want to swing just like Tiger Woods. They're like, no shit, so do I. But we'd have to climb in his body to do it. How about I, my, my line that I use with the average players? And JP knows this line because it's a it's my dad's line. So look, I can't make a racehorse out of a mule, but I can damn sure make a racing mule, pal. So let's let's get the best out of what you can do. Forget about who you want to play like and how far you want to hit it. Let's let's just let's just get the best I can get out of you. And in teaching, that's what our job is to get the best out of our students. We can. You know, everybody thinks about you. J.P. and a lot of you guys are more mature players like I have. That's all we do. No, I spend most of my time with the average player. So I, I see some of the weirdest swings you've ever seen.
0: Watch that backswing and keep it out of the rough. This is the Deuce Sweepers Golf Show on WNSP, presented by McConnell Automotive. Once again, your host, Tony Ruggiero.
1: This is Tony Ruggiero, and you're listening to the Dew Sweepers here on WNSP and a conversation from my Tour Coach podcast with Butch Harmon. This segment's brought to you by Stokely's Midtown Garden Express.
3: I think, Butch, when when you work with average players, you know, to your point, you, you get the opportunity to experiment a little bit, but I think you also you get the opportunity to be creative, and I think yeah. that that spills over into what you're doing with, you know, with, with more elite level players. I mean, obviously the, the margins are an awful lot finer at the elite level, but you've got that opportunity to be creative with someone who's maybe less skillful and you can, you know, find things that create results. But I wanted to ask you one more thing, just kind of on, on some stuff that you and, and, and I and Claude used to tell me about. You know, Claude used to talk a lot about the difference between a job and a career and a vocation. And he used to talk a lot about, you know, if if you want a job working for the Harmon family is probably not the place for you to, you know, unless you're the person who, you know, maybe answers the phones and, but if you want a job teaching people, it's probably not going to be a job. You're after a career and within that career, there's a, there's a vocational aspect to it. You know, I think for the, for the younger teachers watching, you know, speak a little bit about that, about the fact that, you know, sun up to sunrise and, and you've loved this all your life and you've, you've, you've had great times with it and you've had some tough times, but, you know, the difference between just having a job and having a career?
2: Well, I think the golf business has changed through the years. Uh, You know, the the pro like my father was, like Bob Ross was, like my brother Craig was, uh, dedicated golf pro, good player, good teacher, good merchandiser could give clinics, was great with his, his his members. That's kind of changed these days. That's because the pros don't own anything anymore. The clubs own the shops or something like that. So that has changed. But teaching hasn't changed. And, and I like to tell people when I used to teach a lot when I was at Lock and Bar, and I'd probably teach seven, eight hours a day. And in the summertime, it's 90 degrees, 90% humidity. I mean, you're dying. And you got a five o'clock lesson and you'd give the guy 500 not to take it because all you want to do is go home. You have no <laughs> desire to, to work with this guy. And he's he's the last one on your book. And you see, oh, my God, I got Justin Parsons at five o'clock. He's a 15 handicap oh, son of a bitch. Oh, maybe he won't show or something. That's when you find out what it kind of teacher you are because you have to be into it for that lesson just as much as you were for the one at eight o'clock and nine o'clock in the morning. Why? Because you're a professional. And you have to act like a professional and you have to conduct yourself like a professional, which means you have to give 100% of your effort every time you walk on that lesson team. People are paying you money to do this. They're taken away from their job, coming to see you. So you need to treat that lesson as, as something that's very special. And We all get lessons with guys that, you know, oh, my God, this guy's so bad. Uh, I wish I didn't have him. And, you know, now... In my with five or six assistant pros, you can imagine the ones I'm giving them to. <laughs> this guy will call me and say, hey, John, uh, Mr. So-and-so, he'd be perfect for you right now. Oh, what's his handicap? I think he's a 32. He's right up your alley. Don't worry about it. But in the old days, that's who we taught. But to be a, a true teaching professional, you have to love to do it. You have to strive to get better. Your Your whole goal has to get better at what you do. There's no joy better in teaching, and it could be a professor in college or high school coach or teacher, to see your students improve. That's the greatest joy we get, to see a guy that's never broken 90 all of a sudden shot 83 one day. It makes you feel good. It makes you really feel good about what you're doing. Uh, people say to me, so you've had guys win so many major championships, I said, yeah, I've been very lucky. I don't know, 20 or so majors are guys that I've taught at won. I said, but I get enjoyment out of a guy that never broke 90, and all of a sudden he's breaking 80. I said, I get a great enjoyment out of that, and I've got pay as well, but I get enjoyment out of it. And that's why we teach, because we we want to impart what we know to people and get help them get better. The whole key is to help them get better. Not everybody, JP, works in a great facility like you work or the, the, the facilities I've had around the world where I get a chance to work. Well, a lot of people don't get to do that. A lot of people are in small clubs somewhere and stuff, but still a great, a great instructor is a great instructor. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't matter what his name is or what course he works at. If he's getting success, my brother, Dick was the king of juniors, as you know, I mean, he was Mr. Junior golf in the state of Texas. They loved him. And he loved teaching juniors. He would go out of his way to teach. And he'd spend thousands of dollars, of his own money buying kids clubs that didn't have good clubs and stuff. Dickie but that's why, because Dick loved to teach. Look at Craig. Craig was a pro at Oak Hill and in Rochester, New York, for 42 effing years. I wouldn't spend 42 days in Rochester, New York. Have you ever been <laughs> there? There's nothing there that would keep you there. And I said to Craig, how did you stay there so long? And you'll love this. He goes, you know, I did have eight makers. <laughs> and in the old days, I owned all the concessions. I said, I know you. you used to put us to work in the tents and not pay us so you could make all the money you were making. But these are people that love to do what they do. I love to teach. This, this, this is what I was – I found out late in my life, this is what I was born to do. I was, I was born to do what I'm doing. And I like every bit of it. Even at 80 years old, I, I like to teach. I mean, I, I like I like working on my game, which is not as good as it used to be, and that's irritating the hell out of me. And, but I still go out and I try to work on it. I've been uh, working with a trainer, trying to get my body in better shape and stretching out. I, I'm going to Augusta on Saturday to play and, Like I'm playing with the the two guys I'm taking to Augusta. We're playing on tomorrow morning. And they said, what's this? I said, this is a dress rehearsal. We'll see if any of us are going to play with this when we get to Augusta. (laughs) So I just love being around golf. Golf is our life. But you got to like it because you're not going to get good at it if you don't like it. If you're complaining about your job and the club you work at or how much money you don't get paid, you're not going to be good at what you do. You have to love what you do. And the better you get at it, the rewards are amazing. The, the rewards that we get on where we get to work, the people we get to work with. Think think of think of the, the game of golf. Think of all the people, all you guys that are on this this Zoom right now. Think of all the influential people you've met in your life because of the game of golf. Whether it be members at your club, whether you were traveling somewhere and you met someone and you did someone. And all you got to do is be a professional. Be professional 100% of the time. That doesn't mean what the PGA manual the the PGM schools tell you to do. We've got a very good PGM school here in in UNLV. And I I do a lot of stuff with those kids, and I talk to them every year. And the the people that run it, they hate me because they know what I'm going to do at the end of it. I'll take take the manual like this, and I'll say, you see this manual right here? As soon as you graduate, throw the son of a bitch in the trash because you're never going to use the one thing that's on those pages that's going to help you become any better. Because that's just a general way of doing things. You put your own turn on it. You put your own spin on it. You get better at what you... Forget what that paper says to do. And people say to me, you've been a golf pro for almost 60 years. You've never been a member of the PGA. And I said, no, I haven't. And they said, why? I said, because I couldn't pass the test because I can't... I'm no good at taking a test. I mean, I I took... My brother, Dickie, made me go to business school way, way a zillion years ago when I first went to Houston. And so... Me, me being the rebel that I am every, in those days you had questions about uh, cart maintenance and accounting and you guys all know you don't have. Oh, to yeah. so the questions came to my accountant I wrote my accountant's name and phone number across the paper I said I don't do accounting I have, I hire a professional to do it came to the cart maintenance I put my, my cart man down his phone number I said no, I have a cart man who's really good at this he does this I don't take care of the cart well of course I failed the test and I got home and my brother Dick says I me, mean, you're such an why did you do that? I said, because I don't you know me, I can't take a test. I, I got every letter in the world. I, I got, I can't, the, the only time I can pay 100% attention is when I teach all the other time. I'm I'm out in space somewhere. So taking a, a written test to me was never a job. So I said, the hell with this. I can't do this. I'm just going to have to do this on my own. So that's
3: don't, my Um, I've got a few things I can, but uh, Jackson, do we have many questions for, for Butch?
1: Yeah, let's do a couple questions. I've
3: got two I can fire your way. What professionals from your childhood, other than your father, had the biggest influence on your teaching and coaching?
2: Uh, John Jacobs, for sure. The great uh, Englishman who was phenomenal. He, to this day, uh, I think he's probably written the best in, instructional book there is to read. It wrote all the way back in the 70s, Practical Golf, it's called. I make everybody who comes to work for me read it. They take mine, they can see all the highlighting I've put in it. I'll tell you how much it meant to me. I, I When he passed away, I flew all the way over to London to speak in Winchester Cathedral at his memorial. And I, I couldn't, I wouldn't miss it. Uh, and I told the people, I said, if you hadn't invited me, I was coming anyway. So he, he and my dad, I learned the most from.
3: Awesome. What Second else question What things would you consider to be. Most important when developing elite high school and college players?
2: Uh, I would say teaching them how to play golf instead of worrying about how far they hit it. Teaching them how to put in a number in that little box on the scorecard because that's the only thing that counts. Uh, they don't care whether you drove up in a new Denali and you got a $600 Scotty Cameron putter. I don't really give a shit. Let's see if he hits the balls. So teach them how to play golf. Teach them how to shoot scores. That's the whole key. Learn that high school players And even when you get to college, when you're first in college, you got to learn how to shoot scores. Scores are the barometer on how well you play. You can, We can BS ourselves and say, well, I really played good today. I know I shot 75. No, you didn't. If you really played good, you wouldn't have shot 75. You know, it's like my dad used to say when I was playing really well and I'd I'd be on the tour and I'd I'd come and I I wasn't playing so good and it hit me on. And I'd hit a shot and said, oh, yeah, I know what I did wrong. And he goes, if you know what you did wrong, why the hell did you do it? You know, that's how simple the old timers made it. But with these young kids, make them shoot scores and make them hit shots. I used to take my junior golfers and one day they had to play with all odd number clubs. The next day they had to play with all even number clubs. Then I might even make it go down to seven clubs. And I want to see what kind of short score you could shoot for nine holes without a full set of clubs. Because then you've got to hit golf shots. And you've got to show me that, that you understand how to maneuver your way around a hole to get around a hole, get around nine holes without just bombing your driver out there 320 yards and wedging it on the green. Learn how to play golf. That's when you find out the guys that are really good. We had a barometer. My dad had it and my brothers and I have all had it when parents will bring their their 15, 16-year-old kids to us and talk about how good he is. And and my first question would be, well, young man, what do you shoot at your home course? Well, you know, I shoot around 70, 71, 72. I said, that's not going to get it. I said, if you're not shooting six, seven, eight under every time you play on your home course, you're not going to beat anybody. And they look at me like they're crazy. I said, what do you mean? I said, you know what? Every club to hit on every shot, you know how every putt breaks, you know how to play every single hole, you know everything about the characteristics. Oh, you got to be shooting five, six, seven, eight under every time you play if you're a good player. Because when you go to another course, you don't know any of that. So that's why I say it's important to make them go shoot scores. Send them out there. Let's see who can shoot the lowest today. It may not be popular because all they want to do is get the new driver and hit it 300 yards, you know, or tell you. Well, my dad said I don't have to do that. Well, tell your dad to come here. I'll tell him to have fun too. So they could
1: both leave at the same time. <laughs> As I, told you, I
2: got no filter, guys.
1: <laughs> no, we know. That's well, We love it. We love it. <laughs> this is Tony Ruggiero, and you've been listening to the do sweepers golf show here on wnsp which is also the tour coach podcast available wherever you find your podcasts anywhere out there so just go check out the tour coach for more great golf conversations this show as always is brought to you by mcconnell automotive stokely's midtown garden express and our boys at taylor martino and rowan and we can't forget bushnell golf or on cleveland golf or vineyard vines we'll be back next week with more help for your golf game